Good evening, everybody. Uh, welcome to another edition of the Turnbuckle Post. We are going to have a quick episode today, but I am uh, Johnny Podcast, joined as always at this time by Jesse the Bonnie. Jesse, it is Christmas Eve, and we are shit out of time to get right with Santa. So uh, <laughs> yeah. another another year cold for us, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's fine with me. I'm used to it. <laughs> hey, it's very valuable. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so um, this episode, <clears throat> me and Johnny decided to uh, cover probably, I don't know, it could be considered the worst PP ever, PPV pay-per-view for, sorry, I'm not using the abbreviations <laughs> there. Yeah, it just might be, um, but we're going to talk about the WWE-produced ECW pay-per-view December to Dismember from 2006, and it is a train wreck that led to Paul Heyman being ousted as the guy in charge of WWE's ECW brand, which we'll get into as we get more into it. Yeah, so a little background. Um, obviously, in 2001, the two main competitors to WWE at the time, ECW and WCW, went out of business um, within weeks of each other. And WWE purchased their tape library. And with ECW, they had a, quite a bit of their talent there already. Um, in 2005, they produced a, an extremely popular pay per view event called One Night Stand. Um, wow. Go ahead, sorry. No, go ahead. Um, and, you know, it was raved by fans. People loved it. It was held at the old ECW arena. Um, they had a lot of the originals on, on the pay-per-view. It was, it was very well received. Um, and off the strength of that, they decided to start ECW as a brand in its own. Um, obviously, we've alluded to that before. It started off with a mumbling zombie on the very first episode. <laughs> and... Uh, Kind of went to shit really quick after that, but um, but that's that's the abbreviated version of it. Did you have anything else you wanted to add to that? Yeah, I just want to say, um, you know, the, the first ECW one night stand back in 2005 was very successful, even though most of them were WWE guys, they still managed to encapsulate the heart of what ECW was. You know, they it took place in yeah. the Hammerstein Ballroom, which is where, uh, which is you know, the close to Philly, which was their main mm-hmm. uh, headquarters. And you just had that good ECW vibe. 2006 was the same way. Uh, that ended with you know Rob Van Dam cashing in his Money in the Bank contract on John Cena to become not only the WWE champion, ECW champion under WWE's tutelage. As ECW went on, I mean, from the start, you could just tell it was a WWE-produced show. They, they mm-hmm. didn't do any of the hardcore stuff like they did. They, there was a lot of stuff they couldn't get away with because they were on syndicated TV. Um, it slowly began to distance itself and become less ECW as time went on until it finally became what I consider the start of NXT. They bring in just new talent mm-hmm. and, and put them on the ECW show to, to launch them off. Yeah. And, and in retrospect, this pay-per-view was one of the worst received pay-per-views of all time. It had the lowest buy rate um, of any WWE produced pay-per-view um, and all, of all time now because they don't produce pay-per-views anymore. They pr- produce uh, network events or however they want to classify it now. Um, so I think it only sold 55,000 or maybe 90,000. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah it, it drew 90,000 <laughs> buys. And the thing about this was, I mean, it was so low that the next were about double the number. And while the poor card was a big part of the problem, in my opinion, the fact that they did this pay-per-view one week after Survivor Series mm-hmm. with 370,000 buys, and then two weeks before Armageddon with 239,000 buys is odd. Three yeah. review events in a four-week span, and this is the card they want people to pay for. 
Yeah. It, it was brutal. I mean, oh. and probably wouldn't be a bad idea. It probably would be a bad idea today, even with the network only costing nine ninety nine per month. Yeah, it's just it's oversaturation. Um, you know, you're already expecting people to at that time, you know, we're always still two hours, but you're still expecting people to put in seven hours a week of watching WWE. And like you said, three weeks out of a year you're losing or three weeks out of a month you're losing your weekend or your Sunday night because you're if you're trying to keep up on this stuff. Um, you know, you're already you're already investing all that time into it, plus plus the time that you invest in watching ECW as well. Um I will say uh, I have a, a conundrum with this card because there was a couple matches that were actually pretty good, but I don't know if it's because the rest of the card was so bad that these matches stick out. Um, but but before we get into that, let's talk about where this t- pay-per-view took place, Jesse. It was in the hotbed of ECW love <laughs> in Georgia. The James Brown <laughs> Augusta, Georgia is where this took place. Not Philadelphia, not New York, not New Jersey, about as far away from those places as you could get. Yes, and for those of you that don't know, ECW was originally Eastern Championship Wrestling. It was based out of, uh, I want to say Pennsylvania, but it was based out of Philly. Um, Shane Douglas was the became the NWA champion. He threw that down and said, I'm not Ric Flair. I'm not the fat man Dusty Rhodes. And he said they can all kiss his ass, and the extreme championship wrestling was born. But as you said, this was a northeast thing. This this was like Jim when Jim Crockett Promotions tried to take Clash of Champions to Chicago, or you know, it, it just it wasn't there wasn't that home base feeling for it. And and to, to for WWE to have this big production of a pay per view and expect it to do well in freaking Georgia, it was not. I mean, it was not setting themselves up setting themselves up for success to begin with but well, i think uh, i think if it had took place at like the old ecw arena or even the hammerstein ballroom yeah it might have been a little better because you would have got that genuine ecw feeling that the one night stand pay-per-views had been this yeah. this did not at all i mean they went with a smaller arena i think there was only maybe close to five thousand fans in, in attendance but still yeah. you've still got that you could tell it's just WWE all the way. Well, yeah, exactly. And that, and honestly, you know, this is something I'm starting to notice more and more. And this isn't a slam on WWE necessarily, but it's it's just they don't want to give the fans what they want. They want to tell the fans what they want. Yeah. The fans told them, oh, yeah, we love ECW. And they're like, oh, OK, well, we'll make it our version of ECW. So instead of, you know, one announcer and and one camera angle and and, you know, uh, you know, more focus on story we're going to have you know 18 camera cuts in three seconds and and we're going to have you know we're going to add a two-man announce booth and we're going to do this and we're going to have all these new stars and that that really wasn't what people wanted and um you know i think that 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 has continued to i mean we're seeing that over and over again where you know it's just it's just wwe failing to read the room um and i don't know and i'm not saying that Obviously, it's worked out for them for some for for better or worse. It's worked out for them financially, um, but but I think this was one of the first like moments where I had that like breakthrough. Like, oh yeah, they they just want to do their thing. They'll put your name on it, but they're gonna do what they want to do their way. So, um, sorry, I got off on a tangent there. I apologize. No, no, no. You're yeah, fine. I mean, yeah. It start, the night started off good. I mean, you, you had they brought back you know Joey Styles and Taz to be the the mm-hmm. main announcers for the show, which you know, at least they give you the two ECW. Joe yeah. Styles was always the voice of ECW, and he was always the one announcer. And then Taz, of course, was 
a favorite of ECW. He became an announcer after uh, injuries. Mm-hmm. Their goal. So they announced this show. They had the first match as uh, Eminem, Johnny Nitro, and Joey Mercury, who were the epitome and the heart of ECW. <laughs> I'm just kidding on that one. With Molina taking on the Hardy Boys. So the first match starts off with none of this talent ever, ever gone through the doors of ECW. No. No, it, and it, it honestly, I, I hate to say it, it was like the best show, best match on the entire show. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, they, they were teasing a lot of, oh, this is the last time these two teams will be together. They're going to get split up. And then they ended up working together for quite a few months after this, uh, just because of the strength of this one match. But, uh, second, yeah, I, th- I think it was a couple of weeks later at Armageddon where, uh, Mercury got his nose busted open. Yeah. I think uh, that's what I was thinking too. Like it, it wasn't an immediate breakup. There was, they were like, oh, this, these guys have some chemistry. So they went ahead and used it, but. The one thing I want to point out, like right off the start here, is uh, I'm enjoying Taz's work in e, e, or AEW, um, and this isn't an AEW versus WWE thing, but I could not stand Taz in WWE. Um, and on this show in particular, especially in this match, he was so horny that like it, it was like listening to Jerry Lawler with a Brooklyn accent. Um, it was awful. Like he was talking about Molina, like every five seconds, it was obnoxious. And, and like I said, you're taken away from what's a great match in the ring to, to, you know, point out all these secondary things. Um, but like you said, a lot of great, great spots, a lot of great, you know, athletic action. It went back and forth. Uh, I think the Eminem tried to use the, the, uh, twist of fate, Swanton bomb, um, combination that blew up in their face they did a snapshot and it got broken up um and then finally uh uh, jeff hardy got the win after the swanton bomb um i I don't really have any other impressions about that match i just recently watched the pay-per-view again um and uh i mean like i said it it was probably the best match on the show by by far yeah the match was the longest match on the show it was like 22 minutes and 33 seconds honestly if the only negative i could take away is that it probably went five minutes too long I mean, when, when you when you do a when you do a long match like that, it. I mean, the show itself ended up being pretty short. Mm-hmm. It gave them more time because they just didn't have a lot of talent like ECW at this point. And there was a few moments in the match where they kind of looked disjointed and out of place, but they were able to tell a good story for the most part. Um, mm-hmm. No surprise that the Hardy Boys won. Obviously, this was just like you said. There was no there was no story going, going into it, so that kind of hurt it a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. Um. And yes, it was. As I'm reading up on this, it, they did face each other again at Armageddon, where Joey Joey's uh, nose broke all over his face. Yeah, and it pretty much effectively ended his career. Yeah, um, an otherwise promising talent. I mean, he came back as part of J and J Security later on, um, and I think he's still an agent. Um, but but yeah, his his in ring career was basically done uh, after taking an errant uh, ladder shot to the face basically busting his nose completely open um it's disgusting if you want to find it it's on youtube i'm not going to share it but well they, they were pushing nitro as a, as a singles wrestler at this point so this was just yeah. a matter of them putting these guys together to have a good match with the hardys to, to get the crowd riled up now and if this if every other match was three stars i would think out of five then that would make for a pretty good show but that wasn't the case with the rest of the card. It, not even close. No, and and really, I mean, you know, you talk about the length of this match. This card was only only had six matches on the actual pay per view. 
um, with the last being the Elimination Chamber match, which should have been longer than a tag team match. Just saying. But um, but the other thing was, I think it was immediately after this match. So the original Elimination Chamber, the main event of the night, was scheduled as Bobby Lashley, RVD, uh, Test, um, and now I'm blanking, uh, Sabu, and... Yeah, and CM Punk. I can't believe I forgot him. Um, <laughs> but but those six were originally scheduled. I believe right after this match, they did a backstage angle where Sabu was taken out of the match, um, which immediately pissed off the live crowd. The you know the people of Georgia that came to see this ECW pay per view uh, immediately started chanting they wanted refunds and started chanting for TNA and God knows what else. They were pissed. Um, so. Go, they had that going for them going into the next match, which was uh, Balls Mahoney and Matt Stryker. And, and this match really sticks out in my memory, mainly because Matt Stryker had a picture of his face on his ass, on his trunks. <laughs> and it he looked wore a like a pink shirt. Yeah. <laughs> he wore like to a, get some heat. <laughs> it worked. I mean, he was, he, he really had that crowd pissed off at him already. Um, and, and they really wanted to see Balls Mahoney kick his ass. And it was actually a striker's rules match. So there was no uh, eye gouging, no pu- uh, pulling of the hair, no uh, maneuvers off of the top rope. And th- there was something else about it, too. It was, you know, it was your classic heel technique where they if, tried. If they had they'd left the match alone, and this is my, my, my thought on it, if they left yeah. that match alone, I think it would have been better than what it was. But because Mahoney couldn't use any of his stuff that made him famous, and he, it made him look subpar. It made him look yeah. like he wasn't on the level of a wrestler because he. He could only use wrestling holds. He couldn't do any of the violent stuff due to the rules of the match. And that to me didn't make, that's what made it a bad match. Yeah. I, it showed I mean, his weaknesses. Yeah. I can see it that way too. I, I, I actually enjoyed it for what it was. Um, but like you said, it, it feels like you got cheated out of a lot um, because balls Mahoney is not, not really a technical wrestler. I mean, he, he pulled it off in this match, but that's not really what his forte is, but as I said, as we were talking about, Balls is the first ECW original on this entire show. Yeah. Um, and that's pretty telling for what happens for the rest of the night. Um, well, I think with Sabu, though, I think the reason they wrote him out is because I don't think he ever adapted to the WWE style. I think he was so, had the old ECW ingrained in his brain that he never adapted to that style. I think they were frustrated with him because of it. Mm-hmm. It still left him on the promotion of the card. I mean, he's still on the promotional poster, but yeah, like you said, this is their way of writing him out, saying, "Yeah, we, we told you we gave you Sabu, but no, we're going to give you Hardcore Holly in his place." Yeah, that screams ECW. <laughs> <laughs> um, man, yeah, a lot of a lot of jacked uh, steroid guys in that match, man. Uh, you know, we know we know how Andrew Martin's life ended, and and um, obviously. Uh, who were we just, hardcore Holly had his issues. Um, just, uh, man, uh, I just completely missing the boat on what people wanted there. And, and like you said, I think that was the end of Sabu in, in ECW or at least the WWE version of it. Um, I know he came back for like the EV 2.0, the hardcore justice, what they did in TNA. Um, and he's been around still. And if you look at Sabu, you can tell that he's not really one for like PG style matches. The man has scar tissue, all over his body um, for where he's, you know, jumped on the, you know, barbed wire fencing or, you know, set himself on fire or any God knows, you know, God knows any number, any number of things that he's done over his career that don't really fit into that PG mold. Um, no, not at all. So our next match uh, featured the 
tantalizing team of Elijah Burke, a.k.a. the Pope, and Sylvester Turquay, <laughs> you know, that great successful story, versus the WWE version of the FBI uh, with Trinity, who is uh, Tracy Brooks, who is Kazarian's wife. Um, funny story about the FBI is in the original ECW, it was all people that were definitely not Italian except for Nunzio, and that was the joke behind it. Yeah, WWE didn't get the joke, and they put all Italians in it. So that's always fun. Um, well, I remember really... they, they were big on Turkai at the time. I mean, I guess he yeah. had an impressive amateur background, but he just – he – I don't know. I mean, he, I think he was just kind of slow and didn't mm-hmm. really pick up to the fast pace. I mean, I think Burke had kind of a decent career, but he spent yeah. more time in TNA where he's currently yeah. an announcer. <laughs> Actually, he's on uh, uh, NWA as a wrestler now. Oh, is he? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, and I, and, you know, and that's no, I'm, I'm not trying to downplay, like, the Elijah Burke character was okay, but but his his transformation into the Pope, I, I'm a big fan of his. Um, I really enjoyed the, the uh, oh, the cage match he had with AJ Styles for the championship um, in TNA, and um, I bought that pay-per-view just for that match, and uh, I really enjoy his whole, you know, talking about himself in the third person and uh just completely outlandish character um he does great work but but that all aside uh this match was was not very boring or was not very interesting and and really didn't really do much for me it was a squash for lack of a better term um because little guido and tony mamaluke were not very big guys and um i want to say sandman came out at the end of this and saved trinity uh, but I could be wrong on that. I know Sandman made an appearance at some point. No, it was later on. Sorry, I apologize. Um, well, I know Burke, Burke used the Elijah experience, which if people don't know what that Jarrett did for years, that he yeah. called it stroke. Yeah, and Jericho did it for a while, called, called it the breakdown. Yeah. yeah. It's, and actually, it's the skull-crushing skull finale. So it's you know it's been used many, many times over. Um, and, uh, and then, uh, I think, uh, Turkey did a muscle buster on one of, one of the guys, I think it was little Guido. Yeah. Um, and then that, yeah, that was pretty much it. That was, like I said, it was a squash, um, which led us into our next match, which was Davari with future WrestleMania main eventer, great Kali. (laughs) (laughs) So this, this is just off, 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 uh, cuff story but jesse and i have a long-running joke that i wanted to see great Kali and david otunga facing the main event of wrestlemania on a baby baby oil on a pole match um <laughs> my dream has never come true but but you know there's still many wrestlemanians to go so hey they, they would hold the distinction of being able to clear out an arena the fastest <laughs> everybody would beat traffic that night <laughs> yeah pretty much <laughs> they, they, they were bad so, so yeah th- th- this this match Tommy Dreamer be original and he was one of the great, but I, I feel like at this point he was, I don't know if he was past his prime or he was just tired or he just didn't. I mean, I, or uh, Davari went at it with a chin lock that went on for way, way. Oh I, yeah. It was boring. <laughs> yeah, it was, I felt like I could have taken, taken a nap in the time that they, you know, did that, that chin lock spot. Um, yeah, just just the rest holes. I mean, Tommy Dreamer, you know, love him or hate him. You know, I've I've always liked him. His his you know his feud with Raven was was revolutionary. Um, but 
but yeah, uh, at this point in his career, he was either out of shape or unmotivated. Um, and it, it really showed in this match and it, it really didn't do anything for Davari, didn't do anything for the audience. And then, um, uh, at the end of the, after, uh, Guido, or I'm, I called him Guido after Davari got the match, uh, won the match, uh, Dreamer was trying to chase him backstage and then, uh, great colleague came out and did a choke bomb on him on the stage. Um, which I, I assume was to write him off TV for, for the time being. Um, I don't, I think Davari won with a roll up if I'm not mistaken, but I, I can't remember off the top of my head. Yes. The dreaded roll up of death with tights for the win. Yeah. So like I said, not really putting over Davari very strong. Um, not really making the ECW audience very happy and you know, you don't let the innovator of violence be violent. Um, and it's, it's completely stupid. Um, so there's one performer on this next match I'm going to tread lightly on because he might be a guest on our show at some point. Uh-huh. But, uh, but, uh, the next match was a mixed tag team match between Ariel and, uh, Kevin Thorne. Ariel was, a, they were vampires and they faced the, uh, team of Kelly Kelly and her boyfriend at the time, Mike Knox. Kelly Kelly, ever the strategist at the beginning of this match, grabbed the microphone and wished CM Punk good luck in the main event in front of her boyfriend who then left her in the middle of the match. <laughs> yeah, see, WWE, for people who don't know, she was signed at 19 years old, and they had her strip her clothes as her gimmick. She would come out almost every ECW show. She would mostly dance to that damn song, that Pussycats doll song, Buttons. I never could get out of my head. Every time I, <laughs> that song, I thought of that. And right before she'd skip down to the nitty-gritty, Mike Knox would always come out and cover her up. But she retired at 25 years old. That's crazy. I mean, yeah, what a life, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I was really sad when they didn't have the Muppet that looks like her <laughs> hang out with her on that episode of Raw with the Muppets on it. That was a real disappointment. Hey, at least I had Beaker uh, <laughs> Sheamus, so you can't go wrong with that. <laughs> that was going to be my next point was Beaker <laughs> And, and we're basically the two old guys in the balcony going, hur, 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 and yep. thing they yep. Oh man, that was the. I know. There, a... I, know I know what you mean by Tazo and his announcing because there was a lot of boob jokes for Ariel. She was. Oh my was, god. She was pretty well stacked, and she was easy on the eyes. But yeah, when the announcers just talk about it so much, it becomes okay. I, I get it. You know, let's actually talk about the match here. Yeah. No. And the, I mean, anytime there was a woman out there, it was a. Uh... It was a horn fest, um, and it, it like it was always creepy. It was always creepy when Lawler did it, and like, and the fact that they're getting fed these lines is what makes it worse. Um, you know, it's somebody telling him, "Oh yeah, be horny, pal." Like, it's it's just weird. Um, and and like I said, you know, this match, you know, Kelly Kelly ended up you know being you know out outgunned for lack of a better term, and ended up getting defeated. And then, um, as hey, I, did like, I did like the finish though. What was the finish? I don't remember off the top of my head. Ariel pinning Kelly basically sitting on her face. So, you know, oh, okay. that, that saves this match from being a total. So Jesse's not getting his horny lines fed to him. He just <laughs> said that on his own free will. But, uh, well, if anything, this match proved that <laughs> Kelly Kelly was not ready to be in a, be in a match. Oh, absolutely. She not. was very, she was very much off. There was no chemistry going on with anybody. It was just, it was, it was brutal, and it's no no offense to to, to Kevin Thorne or Mike Knox. You know, I'm, I'm sure those guys were great, but they were just saddled with these yeah. inexperienced females that hadn't quite gotten seasoned yet. 
Yeah, it, re- it reminds me of the, the J- Jackie Gadia match that uh, she had with uh, – it was another mixed tag, and she whiffed on some stuff so bad and then, you know, ended up selling a bulldog that Trish didn't even make connection on. Um, it's If you look it up on Russell Crap, it's one of the worst matches ever, but it, it really reminds me of that. Um, just not, not good for anybody. What are you talking about? The, uh, it was Jackie Gadia and um, I think it was Chris Nowinski, and they faced Trish and um, – I want to say Bradshaw, but I could be wrong on that part. But, yeah, um, just one of the worst matches in history just because the timing was so bad. Um, but after this match, you know, they did they did make the crowd happy. Uh, you know, Sandman came out and made the save for um, uh, Kelly Kelly, so the fans got to see another ECW original. Um, but uh, but so, really, that, that takes us into the main event, the uh, Extreme Elimination Chamber, and and really, this was the bone of contention for the whole show um, as far as Paul Heyman's relationship with WWE um, because he did not want to put the belt on Bobby Lashley. And this whole thing was made to look Bobby, make Bobby Lashley look like a star. And, and, and uh, what's interesting about this is this – I got when I talked about Survivor Series before this, mm-hmm. CM Punk came out looking like a star in that match. He was one of the survivors with DX. Yeah. You know, their, their team – none of their team was eliminated, so he was already getting – a heavy star push by being with these guys. Yeah. And we thought for sure, okay, well, he's going to, they're going to put the ECW belt on and they, they have confidence in him. And that's mm-hmm. not what. No, I mean, once, once you get a big sweaty man in there, it's hard to, you know, keep the title off of him. Um, and, and so basically, you know, after this match or after this pay per view, you know, uh, Paul Heyman was saddled with a lot of the blame for its failures. Um, you know, and he kind of fired back on that and he ended up quitting and walking out of WWE, uh, although still being under contract. Um, and then a couple of the guys, uh, Stevie Richards and I believe Tess, both asked for their releases uh, after this because everything went off so bad. Stevie Richards wasn't even in this match, but um, he was that dissatisfied with the way that, that, that this version of ECW was being run. But Well, the Elimination Chamber, the Extreme Elimination Chamber, it was a, it was a neat concept. I mean, every yeah. rod had a weapon in it. You yeah, a that was kind of cool. Bat, a table, a chair, a crowbar. So that I mean that with the fact that when one of these guys got released from their pods, they take their weapon of choice. But you know, it just didn't. The match just did not come off well. No, it didn't. And really, you know, it got off. It, it started off hot. You had uh, uh, Rob Van Dam in the in the ring with, uh, I think it was Hardcore Holly. Yeah. And then um, uh, Punk was the first one in out of the pods, and the fans were dying for that. That punk Rob Van Dam showdown, and they got it. I mean, they had they had a really good back and forth for about six minutes, and then after those six minutes were up, both men were eliminated, um, and that really pissed off the crowd because now you have Bobby Lashley as the only quote unquote face against a, a basically a team, for lack of a better term, with Big Show, Test, and Hardcore Holly, and actually Test eliminated Hardcore Holly. I totally forgot about that, but he uh, he gave him a big boot and uh, eliminated him from the match. Well, what's, what's weird about Punk is that he was eliminated pretty much cleanly. I mean, RV yeah. had the five-star frog splash and pinned him, and Punk never kicked out. It, yeah, that made – I mean, that was – to me, that was a Vince McMahon booking call rather than Paul Heyman's choice because I think yeah. Heyman really wanted Punk to go over in this match, and so, 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 somebody's got to take the blame. Somebody's got to be the one to be the fall guy, and – man he was gonna no. put the blame squarely on paul Heyman's shoulders 
This was no. your baby. I gave it. I, I gave it to you. I messed with it, but I, but you're taking the blame for it. Yeah, it's it's one of those. I mean, and you know, we work in a corporate structure. We understand. You know, it's it's shit rolls downhill. Um, and you know, like you said, Vince McMahon is at the top of the hill in WWE. There is nobody above him. And you know, no matter what failure or what you know uh, things happen on his watch, I mean, he's there's somebody else that can take take the blame for it. And in this case, it was Paul Heyman. And and you know, Paul is a is a creative genius. He's a terrible businessman. <laughs> But he is a creative genius, and, um, you know, it's unfortunate that, you know, he ended up in that political situation where, you know, he, you know, didn't have any leg to stand on, really. Um, but, well, what's uh, weird about the Holly elimination is that the referee only counted two and then stopped. Oh, yeah, Holly yeah. And the ref says it was three, so. Yeah, that so, was weird. Somebody was off there. <laughs> yeah, that, I, I, I was watching it the other night, and I was like, didn't they only count two? Yeah, and, and even the announcers sounded like they were confused by it, um, which is never a good good sign. But um, but yeah, like you said, Holly got a uh, test just surprised him with a big boot. Like I said, man, uh, you know, Tess was always a big guy as far as tall, but he was always very lean. I did not realize how jacked he got towards the end of his you know uh, well career and life. Um, you know, he was huge, uh, just all kinds of muscle. Um, Still really wasn't a great wrestler. I, I did enjoy his work with Shane McMahon, but other than that, I wasn't really a huge test fan. But um, either way, that's not... You weren't not, a testicle? I was not a testicle. <laughs> I I still, you know, I wish they would have, like, changed his name to exam when he went to TNA instead of going to Andrew Martin. <laughs> <laughs> or, like, quiz. That would have been good. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, it's better than the shitty names they gave the ECW originals when they came over, like Balls Cajoni and, uh, oh, God, they changed all their names. and I, or Not all of them, but most of the ones that were uh, WWE affiliated got changed. I don't know if you remember that or not, but when they did EV 2.0, they had to change their names. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, uh, you know, Bobby Lashley ends up winning this match by uh, spearing the big show and, and becoming the champion. They would have their rematch the following night. Um, and, uh, basically, uh, big show at the time for lack of a better term retired, uh, which is not true because he's still active to this day, but you could tell that this big show was, was bloated. He was not motivated. He looked miserable. Um, and it, it was probably a good time for him to take some time off and get himself right. And, you know, he's, he's gotten in better shape, you know, as the years have gone on, which is hard to do. But uh, but but all credit to him for that. Um, well, the thing about it is, is that before Bob there, there was only Test left, and he eliminated. I mean, the fan, the, the sales were already out of. First, he yeah. got eliminated, and then RVD got eliminated. Yeah, Bobby Lashley wasn't the monster that he is now. He wasn't pushed like a superstar. So then he no. got Big Show in there at the very end. And, you know, Bobby Lashley pins him and becomes the new ECW champion. I mean, this was – it was a disjointed match. It's probably one of the worst Elimination Chamber matches yeah. in history. Yeah, it was – I mean, in the and really, I mean, the weapon – the idea of having weapons in there was cool. But the way they did it, it just seemed hokey and staged. It was like – it was like if instead of No Holds Barred, they did Home Alone the movie in the match. Like, you know, just kind of hokey, goofy weapons and, and like, just – I mean, it, it just didn't come off well, um, and 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 it, part of it was because you know you had these guys that were superior athletes. I mean, they yeah. don't re- they don't really need that weaponry. Like, 
it fits better when you have a guy like Moxley or you have a guy like, uh, oh God, I don't even know, uh, Nick Gage or, you know, these, these hardcore deathmatch guys that, you know, they look like they could win a fight, but they look like they're going to do it the dirtiest way possible. And, you know, these guys look like, you know, they just came off of the pages of a superhero comic. And, I mean, there's no real reason for them to need a barbed wire baseball bat other than, you know, just for reasons. So, um, but that's really, well, that's really all I had to say about it. Sorry. Well, <clears throat> I remember how, how much people were pissed about the show ending up because the show ended at 10 15. So it, yeah. ended, it went two hours, 15 minutes. When you get a WWE pay-per-view, you're used to nearly three hours of entertainment. And back then, people were paying $35, $40 for a pay-per-view, so they wanted to get their money's worth. Yeah. It was almost as if WWE admitted this show was terrible, and they didn't want to put anything else on there, even though they had a deep roster that could have filled 30 minutes easily. They yeah. lost the ECW brand about five months before this, and they should have spent that time building up matches for this show. Instead, they couldn't even put together a full card. And, and one other thing a note. Who was the man that eventually beat Lashley for the ECW title many months later when they built him up to be this monster? Vince McMahon in a do-rag. It was at, at, yeah, it was at the (laughs) one-night stand in 2007 that they called it when Extreme Rules started to take over because the next year it was called Extreme Rules. Yeah. Which is the pay-per-view we have now. But yeah, Vince McMahon beat Lashley for the title that he'd won on this event. Yeah, it was just, that was, I mean, this was... This was wounding ECW, but that was really the, the final nail in the coffin there. Um, you know, you have a 50, 60-year-old man at that time, you know, parading around with the ECW title and a do-rag, and uh, it just it didn't come off well. Um, and it, it, didn't, it didn't get the heat that it would have gotten in, you know, the early 90s because it's, you know, same old shit at this point. And, you know, there's nothing – you're not bringing anything new to the table by having this man be the evil boss. Um, now he's having some kind of weird love affair with Austin theory, which is different at least, but, um, I I don't know what the hell's going on with that, but either way, um, you know, it just, it, it was, you know, ECW was destined to fail. Um, and then that time, as we said, you know, became the NXT game show on, um, on sci-fi after ECW closed its doors. And then, um, you know, and it became the NXT that we love and, and now it's the NXT they think we want. Um, so, well, if, if there, there were some comments from Paul Heyman, I'd like to read. Yeah, go ahead. I thought it was interesting to hear from his perspective where he thought the undercard was horrible. Mm-hmm. The design of the show itself made no sense. Felt that the entire layout of the show, the entire complexion of the event was a downer. Mm-hmm. Thought they were doing Bobby Lashley no favors the way he was going to win the title, which he didn't because when he got in there, all he had really to take on was a big show. He didn't really get to show anything. No. Last no. the title, especially if you eliminate RVD and CM Punk early, would be leapfrogging over RVD and Punk. Mm-hmm. Man was the sentimental favorite. Punk was the kid that all the crowd was getting behind, and they wanted to see the upset. If you don't appease the need for the audience to see that new hero get crowned like Punk did the week before at Survivor Series, which I brought up, yeah, the X let him say, "Are you ready?" Then the audience will feel ripped off. If you yeah. don't put that spotlight on Van Dam, with whom the paying customers have just taken this long ride back into the title chase then the paying customer will feel ripped off. Heyman also said that his opinion was to start the chamber off with the Big Show. And Big Show even said, I'm a seven-foot-tall, 500-pound giant. I'm going to mow through every one of you, and the first to take him on would be Punk. Now, playing to the fact that UFC is so hot and in the public consciousness, Punk chokes out Big Show in the first round of the elimination chamber, four and a half minutes in, 
and now the champion is out. You know for a fact, before any two contenders lock up, you're getting a new champion at the end of this match. And then the first guy to come out after Big Van Dam, you let Van Dam and Punk fight. And you start feeding in heels. Uh, Vince hated it, and he especially hated the fact that Big Show liked it because Big Show, Big Show was willing to do that. Really? Yeah. Oh, man. That that sounds more interesting just hearing that. Like, that's not me being flippant or, you know, contrarian, but, like, it, it, that sounds like it would have been a better booked main <clears> event. <throat> probably would have left people happy. No matter who won the title, That pre- people probably would have left happy because they, got to, they knew they were going to get to see a child's title change. They got to see all this, you know, great back and forth between everybody. Punk got a huge moment by by choking out Big Show. Um, you know, it would have been a different card. It would have been a been a different narrative. But you know, for well, whatever there's reason, a more to what he said. He said, like, oh, ahead, like, like we talked about, Big Show is so underappreciated in terms of how smart he is and how willing he is to make new stars. Mm-hmm. Baby face out of the way, and for all the spotlight on Lashley, and for Lashley to do a Goldberg style two minute squash of Big Show. He said, Paul Heyman said at that point, not only did I realize that this is going to suck, not only is everyone <laughs> going to throw this back at us, but this show is going to run short. And during the show, he said he pointed all this out to Vince, which just angered him even more, and he didn't care. When this broadcast is over, people will see a new champion, they'll have a new hero, and they'll all be happy. Well, he said when he went to Vince right before I went out to introduce the chamber, he pointed out to him again, Vince, this show is horribly short. I, he said he had this idea of getting 15 minutes out of the crowd, but Vince said, no, 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 just make your point, introduce the chamber, which is why when he... Stood in the ring, he made the statement, ECW will live long after I am gone. Because he knew when he went back into the dressing room or within the next day or two, it was time for him to go. Yeah. Yeah, that was a. Uh, I forgot to bring that up when we were talking about the card in general. But yeah, he, he looked like uh, someone just like kicked his dog in front of him when he came out there for that promo. You could tell. And, uh, he's just like, he's yeah. done. Yeah. And I think, you know, he was seeing his legacy be tarnished right in front of him. And not only that, he was an active participant in it. And, um, you know, I think that really, really hurt him uh, quite a bit. But, you know, obviously things have changed since since then. And, you know, I think Paulie's always going to have a back and forth relationship with the WWE. Um, you know, they're going to value him at certain times and then other times they're going to, you know, tell him to, to kick rocks and then they're going to need to bring him back. And, um, you know, they're it's going to be that way until, you know, Paulie decides to hang it up for good or, you know, somebody dies, I guess. But well, I mean, it's pretty sad them. that show wanted to put Punk over in a big way. I mean, yeah. Heyman wanted this show to be the launching pad for Punk to be the top guy in ECW, the new leader of Extreme, and McMahon yeah. prevented it from happening. I mean, if that would have happened, if Punk would have won, I think it would have went a different route. I don't think it would have went yeah. down in, in uh, uh, <clears throat> it went down the way that it did if Punk had yeah. won the title at this event. Yeah, and I mean, and eventually Punk and Morrison held that title before uh, before the um, ECW was out of was out of business or out of not out of business, but just canceled basically for lack of a better term. Um, like you said, at that point, it was too little, too late. Um, at you know the the fans had already moved on; they realized that they weren't going to get what they wanted out of it, and it was just time to abandon ship. Um, which is unfortunate, but, but, you know, it turned out good for those guys. And, and, and that really, that's a frustrating thing about Vince McMahon is he can't, 
CPAS size. Um, you know, with Morrison, it was always, oh, he doesn't look like he could win a real fight. Okay, but it's not a real fight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, Punk's out here doing the, he basically has done an MMA gimmick his entire time since he left Ring of Honor and, and really even in Ring of Honor. And, you know, that's the whole thing about MMA is it doesn't matter what size you are. Um, you know, you, it's about the skill that you have and the ability you can, you know, you know, wrap your arms around somebody and make them say, I quit. Um, and he's, you know, that he's the perfect guy for that. And once again, it's, why would you want to lose to him? You're seven foot tall. Like, okay. Have you seen Sean Bradley? He's seven foot six. He's not the toughest guy in the world. Like there's, there's plenty of guys that are over seven foot or over, you know, the upper sixes that are not tough at all. Um, and I think it's time, high time Vince, especially, and a lot of these fans quote unquote out there get past the size thing. Um, you know, not everybody's going to be a giant and they can still put on entertaining matches regardless of size, but that's, I'm, I'm on my soapbox again. Sorry. No, 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 you're fine. Um, (laughs) Yeah. If you had to rate the show, what would you, what would you rate it as? Oh my God. Out of five, uh, I would give it like a two and a half. Um, just off of the, cause like I said, I like the balls Mahoney match and I like the Hardy's match, but other than that, it was just, I, I've, I literally tried to watch it like six times and fell asleep every time. So that's bad when you can't even finish a two hour show, um, because it's so dull and, and, and not entertaining. Um, well, I, I but, have some thoughts. I mean, for out of 10, I'd give it a two. Yeah, that's about as low as you could go for it. I mean, I appreciate the work of the guys in the ring. I just think that there were yeah. many things that went wrong that yeah. it warranted yeah. lower. The only highlight to me was the Hardy Boys and Eminem match, but even yeah. that hurt because it was a little bit too long. There was really no story going into it. Um, no, uh, just some more random thoughts here. The undercard matches were horrible, uh, mm. except for you know there was a couple. You know the Balls of Mahoney was was okay, but. Well, you don't have to change your opinion because of me. Well, uh, no, but, you know, but it's yeah. like heels had to do promos before the matches to try to get heat, yet the crowd didn't seem to care about any of them. They ended yeah. the pay-per-view five, 45 minutes before the 11 p.m. hour, which is inexcusable when you're asking people to pay 35, yeah. 40 bucks at that time. I mean, they yeah. could have easily filled another 30 minutes of content. And then whoever thought it was a good idea to put Kelly Kelly in a match was wrong. I mean, I get there was a storyline payoff with Knox walking away, but she was not ready. No. Some of the worst selling, and even some of the worst, even defense on defense and offense, it was it was horrible sell, selling on her part. Yeah, it, it, she was just like you said, just not ready for for prime time, and and it it was just they put her in a bad situation with I mean with the story of the match, and and there was no way she was going to be able to carry that match by herself. Um, you know, and I thought I thought Knox and Thorne did a great. I mean, they put on a decent match for a couple of big guys. But yeah. but it was just, you know, because they were, you know, mixed tag team matches in WWE don't really have any drama to them because as soon as you tag out to a person of the opposite gender, the other person has to tag in. So there's no there's no drama there. There's no building to a hot tag. Or, yeah, exactly. I was going to say there's no hot tag sequence because as soon as the yeah. other person tags in, boom. They, so what's the point of doing a tag? I mean, yeah, there's no, there's no psychology to it. Like who cares? Like the other person automatically has to come in. So, you know, what's, what's the point of having a tag match to begin with? But, um, but yeah, that, that's my main, that, those are my main thoughts on it. And Jesse, we've, we've gone over the half an hour mark here. So, um, 
if, if you're ready to to wrap things up, I think I am, and then uh, yeah. we'll we'll be well, back uh, what week after next with the uh, end of the year awards. Um, I already have my uh, performer of the year locked in. Um, I, I don't know if it'll surprise anybody, but uh, but I I definitely am very passionate about that one. I don't have a lot of other ideas yet, but we'll we will get those all hammered out by the time we sit down to record next time. Yeah, I got I got to say for five stars of a night of this show, I, I just have to say the fans for sitting through it. <laughs> yeah, no joke, no joke, man. That that's like I, I'm sure people were driving home being like, "What did I just spend my money on?" Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. So, all, all right, right, bro. Well, everybody, uh, have a safe, happy Christmas. I uh, hope everybody uh, gets to spend time with their families, uh, enjoy the new year, and um, we will see you all next year. Yep, and be safe, everybody. I, you know, usually Jesse tells you this, but but I'm going to say I said that, but maybe <laughs> it's okay. But but if you're drinking, don't drive, and um, and if you're you know if you're going to you know be with family that you don't normally get along with, you know, take a pause for your mental health um, because it's not worth it. You know, over one day to to lose your shit. Um, so either way, Jesse. Um, you know, we just hope everybody has a wonderful uh, Christmas or or just a regular old Saturday. I mean, depending on how you celebrate. But uh, like I said, you and I are getting Cole and um, and not Michael, <laughs> but just regular old Cole. And um, that'll be good enough for me. So, Jesse, my brother, I love you. I love your family. You all have a Merry Christmas as well. And I will see you next week, man. All right. Be safe, everybody. All right. Goodbye.